0: turns it from this lonely, confusing headache into the most fulfilling and easy project. Go to the link in my show notes to get a free trial on me. This is Tara Bosch for Female Startup Club. Hello, everyone. It's Dune here, your host and hype girl. Today on the show, we're joined by Tara Bosch, founder of the wildly successful candy brand Sweets. Since launching in July 2016, Sweets' mission to innovate delicious, low-sugar candy you can feel good about has remained the same. Kick sugar, keep candy. Envisioned as the future of candy, Smart Sweets aims to be a global leader in the sugar reduction movement by tackling one of the largest and most concerning ingredients in our everyday food, sugar. In this episode, we cover Tara's inspiring story from starting this business in her kitchen right through to selling a major stake in the business for $360 million. It is a wild ride, and I know you're going to learn so much from Tara. If you love this episode, remember to screenshot and share on Instagram stories to help other ears find us and tag us at Female Startup Club. Let's get into this episode. This is Tara for Female Startup Club.
1: I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. Plushcare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepound for those who qualify. Plus they accept most insurance plans. To get started visit plushcarecom loss. That's plushcare.com/weight loss.
2: Since 2013, Bombus has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. and Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host.
0: Tara, hi. Welcome to the Female Startup Club podcast. Thanks for having
3: me. Super stoked to be here.
0: I'm excited to dig into your incredible journey that seemingly you've done in a really short amount of time. For anyone who might not know who you are yet. Could you give us a bit of an introduction to who you are and what your business is?
3: Yeah, absolutely. So yeah, my name is Tara. I am based in Vancouver, BC, up in Canada. And my company is Smart Sweets, where we are on a mission to kick sugar, keep candy, and become the global
0: leader in revolutionizing candy. My gosh, and you're absolutely crushing it, crushing that vision. I want to go back to the very beginning to what your life was like before you started the brand and what was getting you interested in starting a candy company in the first place.
3: Yeah, absolutely. So I always had ideas growing up. You know, I was always watching Dragon's Den and Shark Tank and always ideating, writing my ideas down, but I didn't have the confidence to think that I could actually be capable of acting on an idea and making it successful. And that didn't happen until I was in university when I developed a healthier relationship with food and then a healthier relationship with myself because of that. And I had this confidence and belief in myself that I hadn't had before. And so in university I didn't know what I was doing, wasn't passionate about anything, was just floating along. I feel like as so many people are just trying to figure (laughs) it out. (laughs) And I ended up starting my first startup, which was called Deckled Out. And it was a vinyl um, and chalkboard wall decal idea, basically for students and home renters who couldn't damage their walls. So that was a huge learning lesson. It uh, had so many lessons in it, failed miserably, but it wasn't miserable at all because it gave me the stepping stones of golden nuggets of knowledge that allowed me to apply it to my next idea, Smart Suites, and made just such a huge, huge difference in how I approached it.
0: Was there kind of like a light bulb moment for you when you were like, oh, I'm actually going to start a candy brand now? Like, this is going to be the next idea? Was there something that you kind of pinpoint as the very beginning?
3: Yeah, total. So I was always a candy addict growing up. It was it was like a day without candy was it, it didn't exist for me. I was having it all the time and had so much joy in it. And then I stopped eating it because of all the excess sugar and how that was making me feel. So when I was older in university I had a conversation with my grandmother who also loved candy and we enjoyed it so much together. And she had shared with me that she regretted having so much excess sugar throughout her life because of how it made her feel. So that was the moment for me where I paused and I was like, wait, you can go your whole life feeling bad about yourself because of what you're putting in your body. Why can't we feel good about candy? So that was really uh, what sparked the idea. And then from there, I just went, dove in into just taking step by step each day, not knowing what I was doing, but buying the gummy bear mold, buying the ingredients, Googling and stalking LinkedIn's of people who had successfully built um, businesses that I now was aspiring to try and figure out to build myself. So yeah, that's what sparked it.
0: So were you like in your kitchen at home, making recipes to see what was good and like trial and error. That's how it started.
3: Yeah, I was literally in my basement suite, like classic basement suite, just like super dark, not very, very many windows or much light. And I was just in there recipe testing all day long and just Googling food science journals. And I'm pretty sure I Googled at one point how to start a successful food company. Like I knew nothing and I I was trying to find as much information I could to take the next step forward each day.
0: How many like iterations or, you know, trial and errors do you think that you did? And how long did it take you until you landed on the product that you launched with?
3: Yeah, hundreds for sure. It was I was in my kitchen all summer long. I had found an accelerator, like incubator type program for young entrepreneurs, and it was primarily tech focused. And so I thought, you know what? Like, there's no way I'm getting into this, but I'm going to try because if you don't try, then you just don't know. And then got accepted into that, and that was at the end of the summer as my recipe was nearing completion so it gave me an kind of office space environment to grind from each day surrounded by other young um, entrepreneurs and then at that point I took my recipe and Fat was seeking a manufacturing partner to bring it to scale with
0: and are you still at uni or college at this time and doing this on the side or are you already at this point like I'm going all in and I'm going to drop out of college
3: all in. Yeah. I, when I began recipe testing in my kitchen, and it was very much still an idea in my head. I dropped out of college then. I felt just such a strong sense of conviction in my gut that this is what I was meant to be acting on and that it just didn't feel random at all. That I had this idea and just the impact that I felt it could have in so many people's lives if we could successfully kick sugar out of candy, the most sugar packed aisle in the entire grocery store, then it makes a much larger statement about why is so much added sugar in our foods today. So yeah, I just felt like such a strong sense. And then when I would sit in my kind of logical brain and go, you know what, if it fails, that's okay. But then I know if I, if I didn't, uh, for me go all in at that point, I think I would have been in my rocking chair, 90 years old and been living with like, what if I did?
0: -hmm. And so you're looking for your manufacturer to like bring this to life. I imagine in the candy industry, the minimum orders are like hundreds of thousands, if not more. What does that early piece of the puzzle look like in terms of, you know, your personal investment into getting your first batch of product ready and kind of like leading you up to launch?
3: Yeah. So yeah, you're totally right. The minimums with manufacturers are definitely, are definitely higher than would actually make sense, both financially and just from pure orders you have in in the beginning. So for me, it was really finding a manufacturing partner who saw the vision. And that was really what I focused on. It wasn't that my orders are going to be your absolute minimum, or can we have the minimum to start with? It was, if you come on this journey with me now, this is what where the future of Candy is going, and we will be your partner for you to be a leader in that future. And so really getting them behind the vision was so, so important because from a logical standpoint, it made zero sense for anyone to partner with us, both from a minimums and then also from when you're running Candy with no sugar on a machine that has only ran candy with sugar. It creates like so many issues operationally. Yeah. So it was really just getting them behind the vision to take that leap of faith.
0: When you say getting them behind the vision, do you mean like, you know, you had to pitch them with a deck just to like actually just get them to be excited? Or do you mean like, hey, let me give you equity in the business and kind of you're actually. In the business, yeah, yeah,
3: that's a great question. Yeah, not from an equity standpoint, more from a helping paint the picture so that they understand five years from now that Smart Sweets is going to be a big player and low sugar candy is going to be a huge segment of the candy industry and it's going to uh, continue to grow larger and larger and larger, and that this is really an opportunity for both of us, but. For them in in that they will be the partner that has um, the manufacturing of the largest company that's creating this. So it was really getting them behind that. And just, I didn't even use a deck. I just sat down with them face to face, showed them the product and just like really painted the visual picture. And although I was like terrified inside just speaking with that sense of conviction, you know, people like get excited about that and, and they want to be part of that.
0: Wow. That's so cool. So cool. How old were you at this point, by the way, you're in your early twenties when you first started. Yeah. Yeah. I
3: was 21 at that point.
0: Oh my gosh. That is so cool. So amazing. And so something that I love to talk about before we get into kind of the launch and those early, the early kind of year and hustle is the money piece of the puzzle. How much of your like personal kind of savings did you need to invest to get that first order up and running? And how were you thinking about capital? Obviously in CPG and in something like this where the minimums are really high, you need to have a lot of working capital and it needs to be something that you're already thinking about. So I'm interested to hear kind of what you had in your mind at the very beginning.
3: Totally. Yeah. So I had I really didn't have much savings at all. I had a beat up Honda Fit hatchback. And that was that was what I owned in the world. And so I was able to secure 105,000 debt financing. And that supported me through getting the product on the shelf. And yeah, for me, I tried to be really, really intentional about being as capital efficient as possible, and so uh, and so, I really looked at okay, what is the what is what is like the smallest amount that I need, add a buffer onto that, but really didn't want to give equity away when I knew that what that would mean for me right now, valuation wise, versus when I scaled the company would be just so so radically different, and it was always important to me to be the majority owner of the company, to have the autonomy in in decisions and that sort of thing.
0: And so when you kind of, as you progressed, were you, I wasn't able to see online whether you had specifically raised capital through VC or whether it was just through, you know, other forms of financing.
3: Yeah. So I, I, in the beginning, first did the 105K debt financing and then There was a period of time between raising that, that I wouldn't be able to access more debt financing um, until we grew a little bit. I didn't have any other personal items or anything to put as security other than my own life, which I already had through life insurance. Um, I read that. That's so random. Is that standard practice, by the way? I I have no idea. I just remember standing there and they were asking like I had to go through a a screening call and they were asking all of these questions like have your toes ever had a disease? Has your anyone in your family ever had major chronic illness? Like all these things where I was like, "Oh my god, like this this is really intense." But it, but yeah, so to kind of bridge the gap between being able to access more debt financing, I raised on a convertible note. And so delayed still putting off the valuation, but was able to get that in-between capital. And then I once we raised that, we were at a point in growth where debt financing would be a feasible option again. And so we really scaled the company for the next couple of years with that. And then I had met someone who was just an amazing individual that had built and scaled a business very similar to Smart Suites and I really wanted him involved in the business as well as at the, that same timing we uh, really really wanted to kind of pour fuel on the fire from a marketing standpoint that we weren't able to do with debt financing which we were able to use primarily for inventory and, and more operational things like that. So we raised three million total from him and that was it and then we just continued scaling with that financing
0: holy shit so i read that it's reported that you sold the business for 360 million and you only raised like 3 million to get to that that's like insane oh my gosh go you <laughs> that is so cool
3: yeah i think there's such a stigma or
0: like idolizing
3: Thing around raising where it's like oh you raised from uh, this person or this person or this amount of money and that becomes the celebration and then you get PR and it's just but I feel like that just distracts from the fact that actually that money is so that you can grow your business and those milestones are the ones to celebrate and if you can raise no money or as little money as possible amazing because in the end, that's so much more beneficial for everyone, your team, everyone on our squad at that point had equity. It's beneficial for your team, for you just, yeah, it just ends up benefiting you in so many ways. And yeah, we partnered with TPG in a majority partnership. So um, yeah, they've been an amazing partner, uh, but we're still very much on the journey, it feels like in some ways that it's still day one and
0: we're just getting started, which is
3: exciting. But yeah.
0: That's so cool. I feel like I've jumped a bit ahead. So I want to go back to around the launch and what was kind of like happening for you at this time where you've just placed this massive order, you're kind of just getting started. How are you getting the word out there and getting people to try your product and kind of starting to get, you know, your first thousand customers, for example?
3: Yeah, so uh, I had read a book uh, by Tim Ferriss. Actually, I think it was his blog on the book. And he was talking about his very first book, The Four Hour Work Week. And how, when he was writing that, how he was deciding how to market it. And that he was thinking, oh, this book could be applicable for everyone. But then he was like, okay, what niche can I really focus on? So all of a sudden, this book feels like it's everywhere. And so that was really inspiring to me. And what the hypothesis I took for Smart Sweets was okay. What niches can we really dive into where it's going to be creating radical value for them in their lives? They couldn't have candy before or for a very long time, um, and it's going to feel like Smart Sweets is everywhere. So I, I chose the Weight Watchers community and the the fitness community and within like a month in those communities online and social media they felt like smartsweeds was this big company when really we barely existed in the world and so that was just so so powerful and that's really how we began building our like radical radically passionate community that we call our friends
0: Oh my gosh. That is so cool. Can we break this down a little bit more? When you say you targeted kind of Weight Watchers in the fitness community, what do you specifically mean? Like, are you sending emails to people who work at Weight Watchers to try and get in with the community or what does that look like?
3: Yeah. Yeah. So it was primarily social media. So I was, it was really a scrappy. So scrappy, fun and fruity, but I would be on my phone like ten hours a day, and just finding the key influencers. Not they didn't even necessarily have to have large followings; just the people in that space who really had a voice in their community and who I felt the product would really authentically um, make a positive impact in their lives. And so I just started DMing and, and just like connecting, just offering. Hey, I, this is smart suites. I'd love to send some for you to try. And also just taking the time to like comment on something really authentic about their journey, not just a standard copy and paste. And that went so, 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 so far. We didn't have any budget to pay anyone to post. The product was, was the gift. And like I'd say 90% of people that were sent product became then radical fans in our in our community and our, our friends and began posting about it organically.
0: Oh, my gosh, that's so cool. And I love how you put focus on, you know, authentically commenting and authentically engaging to build that, you know, true relationship versus, like, just trying to slap it everywhere kind of thing. That's definitely... Yeah what people should be focusing on, especially in today's world where it's so saturated in every industry.
3: Totally. Yeah. 100%. It's like, yeah, you could copy and paste out a hundred messages instead of 15 or 20 in the same period of time. But if you're not building that authentic connection and people can can get that vibe from a mile away, then it's not going to go far.
0: That's like kind of the beginning of your story. And I know at some point you get on Shark Tank. Tell us about that experience and what that moment kind of did for you and the brand.
3: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so for us, I'd, I'd say throughout Smart Suites' entire journey, when I started Smart Suites, I always thought, you know, there's going to be this milestone and this milestone, and that will be our silver bullet to hawk like to hockey stick growth and all these things. And what I came to realize along the journey was there's like not one event that is the silver bullet to success. It's just the accumulation that kind of keeps that momentum going of like the snowball getting bigger and bigger and bigger. But you still have to push the snowball. And I feel like in startup life, it's always up a hill that you think <laughs> it's going to come roll down and kill you. Um, <laughs> and and with, yeah, so with Shark Tank, our version of that in Canada is called Dragon's Oh, sorry,
0: Dragon's Den. Yeah. I get them all, I get them confused. Dragon's Den, yes.
3: Yeah, there's a bunch of names for different ones. So that experience was just very serendipitous. A producer reached out and said, hey, I, I tried Smart Sweets. Would you be interested in pitching the, the dragons? And then two weeks later, I flew out to Toronto um, and... Filmed it. I honestly blacked out just from the adrenaline. I thought I was in there for like two minutes, and they're they said, "No, you you've been in there for an hour or over an hour." And I was like, "Wow i i i, I can't remember anything that I've said." So I hope <laughs> that I hope that I just it all flowed well together. But yeah, it was a really great experience and scary as well, um and exciting and all the things. But I think leaning into those opportunities that arise and saying yes is so powerful and goes a long way. and, And we've gotten so much brand awareness, particularly in Canada, from the show and continued from the show now because it's on Netflix.
1: Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank.
2: You have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com/slash host.
0: Where were you in terms of the journey when the Dragon's Den experience happened?
3: Yeah, it was pretty early on. So at that point, I believe we were in 400, just over 400 stores. It was our first year. And when I was on the show, I had said that I thought we were going to do over a million in the first year, and we ended up doing 2.2. So it was very early on in our journey. And I think, similar with the manufacturing, what not a lot of the conversation on Dragon's Den, I think that led to it just being a really productive and, and positive time on the show was the vision and just getting the picture painted for them of where we are today, but what this is going to be.
0: And it's so crazy, like going on a show like this, you obviously get that national coverage and the PR kind of on the back end that just keeps on, keeps on giving, I guess. If you had to distill, you know, from then until say 2020, I read that, you know, or you say you were in 400 and something stores and you did 2.2 million in that first year. And then I read by 2020, you're in like 38,000 stores. You'd done like a hundred million dollars in revenue. What are the kind of key pivotal things that happened in that time to get you from two to a <laughs> hundred?
3: Yeah, I think so many things. I think at the very like top of the funnel, really being clear on what your vision is, and and not just your vision in the sense of like, okay, this is what I hope for, that we're going to be someday. But attaching a timeline to it, even if that timeline doesn't end up being your timeline, just being like for me, for example, I was like, okay, I want Smart Tweets to be the global leader in revolutionizing candy. And so maybe that goal is the the ten year from starting in my kitchen recipe testing goal. And then I was like, okay, well that means that we have to be the leader first in Canada and the USA. And and then I was like, OK, and this doesn't exist today, but I really believe that the sense of urgency and speed on this needs to be quite intense because this is going to exist. And so also thinking with the mindset always that there are 10 other people working on this to really keep that sense of urgency and then just peeling that back. So I was like, OK, so we need to scale rapidly across USA and Canada and um, from a product standpoint. but. Also, just from a brand awareness and distribution standpoint. And so that really informed the more micro decisions. One of them that played a huge role in that was deciding to go national in each country from, um, from the launch there. So a lot of food companies start a regional, kind of build in your own backyard, build a brand presence there, expand. And my hypothesis was, you know, with social media, these days that one, you can create that broad awareness to get that push that you need into the store. And secondly, that it could actually frustrate and alienate people if you're not available nationally, because they'll see you on social media and be like, I can only get you in this province. I don't live there. So that was a really key decision or an example of a decision that ended up really serving us in the uh, rapid expansion we were able to do but it really just tied back to continuing to reverse execute from that end vision and and then being like okay what does that mean for me right now and what decisions do I have to make
0: Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I love that While you're like kind of touching on social media, I'd love to understand how you were approaching in general, your marketing and your social media and the way that you were reaching your customers, especially in that early kind of first year or two.
3: Yeah, absolutely. So yeah, so we were, we were so scrappy. We really didn't put any money towards social media ads or or things like that really in a meaningful way until year, year three. So it really, for us, was just that, just that head down, being on, on the phone, finding these people, creating the spreadsheets of, of our influencers, and um, that really was such a huge way. And then to scale our, our awareness and just our brand strength on social, we did a lot of partnerships with other brands in the space, giveaways, things like that we partnered with our retailers where traditionally they would be wanting to like charge us to be in their e-newsletter. So we would go to them and say, Hey, like what if we actually put you on our social media and like really shouted you from the rooftop. So do some marketing for you. And, um, and many of them would waive fees and things like that. Yeah. So that, that really, there, there wasn't really anything complicated about How we scaled our brand awareness. And then also from a PR perspective, we would find articles and message the editors. When I say we in that really first year, it was myself and our first squad member, Beth, who is still with on the squad and and with Smart Suites today. And so it was also came down to just how many hours there are in a day with two of us. Um, so she, she like took on so much of that and, and just having that manpower, woman power between the both of us was also really, really critical because I, I, I could not have done that alone, both from my just sheer number of hours there on a day. And then also she was. Such a Einstein in her ideas, and she had an amazing graphic designing background. And so she was creating all of our content and just brought so much to the table that weren't my strengths. And so we worked really well together. So I would say also finding, finding someone if, with the asterisk of if you can, of course, from a financial perspective that will really get in the trenches with you.
0: I love that. Shout out to Beth. I think as well, like what I take from that is a lot of people seem to, you know, complicate things or think that there's some, you know, magic bullet with doing all these fancy things and hiring all these external agencies and things like that. And it's like, if you just take it back to the basics and in the beginning, you just invest your time in like doing it consistently every single day, showing up, messaging as many people as you can, getting as much product in the hands of people as you can, slowly that will start to build attraction and that's what pays off in the big picture
3: 100 percent, yeah yeah it's it's so true it's i i thought the same thing as well like surely there's you know when we get this pr when we get this or this and those are all amazing things and some of them really kind of put the accelerate button on on things but 100 percent, there's there's no secret formula or things like that it really comes down to just putting your head down and, and just being consistent. And what I found really helpful, especially in the early days, was to keep a spreadsheet of the small wins because in the day-to-day, it is so hard. You're in it. Sometimes you don't see any progress in the day-to-day and it can be so tough mentally as well to have that grip to just keep going and going and going. And so keeping a spreadsheet of the small wins, even if it was something like, XYZ retailer didn't email me back, but I saw that they opened my email and celebrating that as a win doesn't have to be huge. But for me, I found so much motivation in that to just keep going when it just feels like you're grinding and grinding and grinding, um, but haven't had any of those larger milestones that you're hoping for yet.
0: Yeah, I love that. And I'm actually just feeling like I'm going to take that as inspiration and literally stick a sticky note on my computer, like under my computer and write my little wins so that I'm constantly looking at them. And then at the end of like the week or the month, you look back and be like, oh, wow, I actually do have some great things, especially if you're having a low day. I'm taking that. I'm going to do that. (laughs) That starts today.
3: (laughs) I love that for
0: you. Thank you. I love that for me too. Now that you've kind of partnered with this company and they have a majority stake in the business, what does your role look like and your day-to-day now? And how does that change your approach to building the business?
3: Yeah, absolutely. So, So for me, I always felt like since day one, I always felt clarity that at some point in the business, it's going to make sense to partner with someone who can really equip us with the resources to accelerate the mission in a much deeper way than we would have been able to do without without that kind of partner. For me, it was always a matter of when. And for me, I wanted to scale the company first uh, and, then, and then bring on that partner versus raising from VC or PE super early on and, and that sort of thing. Um, so in finding a partner, what was Really important to me was finding someone who a thousand percent gets the vision, and so it's more it's more like this partner is joining us on the mission and accelerating it. Not that they're joining us and changing the mission in a way that it doesn't feel like the same one from day one. And and so TBG has been such an incredible partner, and they've done exactly that. So they've equipped us with the resources. And just the different things that when, when the company is going to its next phase in growth that we definitely wouldn't have needed in the early days. But now they started to, those things were starting to slow us down. So kind of bringing the systems and the maturity and the next level talent and all of these things so that we can really execute at a much more efficient pace and quicker than we ever have been able to before. And that's what I find most exciting. I think now about the company is like in the early days, we would kick 1 billion grams of sugar in like two years. And now it's like we can kick 1 billion grams of sugar in one quarter. And that's only getting faster and faster and faster in large part because of the TBG partnership and what they're equipping us with to be able to execute on. So my role as well has has shifted and and kind of throughout the entire Smart Suites journey, one thing that I always tried to ask myself was to pause and be like, okay, where do I best serve at this part in the journey? And where am I perhaps holding us at? And what do I just plain suck at that it doesn't make sense for me to be doing anymore? Um and so, in the beginning, you know, it's all the things doing the boxes, doing the labeling. And then, as, as you grow, it, it shifts. And, and for example, um, finance. I didn't even know there was a sum function on Excel when I was doing my spreadsheets for my debt financing. So, we brought on someone to lead our finance much earlier than most companies would because that was a weakness of mine, but it was so incredibly important so yeah with the tbg partnership i've really been able to now like fully lean in and having a and also having an incredible new ceo lead our lead our squad really been able to lead into product and just supporting the overall strategy and being on the board and having those strategic conversations now whereas when i was the ceo i was always very much In the day to day execution and at the stage of growth we were at, I knew with clarity and sitting and asking myself, okay, where do I best serve? Where am I holding us up? That whether we brought on a partner or not, it would have been the right time for a new CEO and just having no ego about, about ask, about what's coming up for you when you're asking yourself that question, because it's about the mission. At the end of the day, and where everyone on the squad, including myself, is just a conduit, a very necessary conduit to achieving that mission and the impact for people in the world.
0: Yeah, I love that. I love that so much. And it reminds me a lot of what Ben Francis did with a company called Gymshark, which is based out of the UK. I'm sure you know it. But he also removed himself from that CEO position. He's actually back as the CEO now, but he took himself out for a number of years, let someone else kind of run the business so he could focus on what he did best with brand and marketing. And I just think it's like, if that's like the way that founders want to go down that pathway, it's like, Absolutely, you should lean into that and just do the things that you love and not like force yourself through the things that you don't love.
3: (laughs) Yeah, 1000%. And it's also for sure like a luxury to be able to get to the point of growth to do that. In the beginning, for sure, it's like you have no choice. You're packing the boxes, you're doing all the things, but totally like when you can at those small bits begin delegating what you suck at. 100%.
0: 100%. Is there anything that you wish someone told you when you were starting out that you can pass on to an early stage entrepreneur?
3: Yeah. I, I mean, so many things. I think I think one thing that really stuck with me throughout the journey that I was just continually surprised about in the beginning. I always thought that like when you get to this certain point of growth or achieve X number of sugar kicked or retailers or uh, dollars in revenue so you just kind of have this like unwavering confidence that you just kind of like know what you're doing you figured it out and you just and for me throughout smart food's entire journey I had like massive imposter syndrome in the beginning first because I was just so like every single day having to like really reaffirm for myself i can do this i can do this i'm capable i'm capable like reading different book pages listening to um podcasts like those motivational soundtracks that are the cheesy ones just really anything to just cling onto not getting uh, stuck in the paralysis of fear and as i scaled i always thought okay that will that will go away but for me it became way more intense in different ways than we had this team and I was like, wow, we have this team of 40 people who are, have chosen Smart Suite's mission to entrust their time, talent and energies to. And I'm, I'm uh, entrusting me to, to guide us in the right way. Every time I would hop on a team meeting at, right before going on Zoom or when we were in person in person. I just would have the biggest imposter syndrome of being like, what do I say? I don't know. Are they, like These people are all so incredible and talented. Like, it, uh, uh, What could I possibly say that would uh, inspire or be of help to them? So that was really interesting learning for me that, oh, this is actually normal and nobody knows what they're doing at any stage. We're all just figuring it out as we go.
0: Wow, that's amazing. Gosh, crazy that so many people do have these feelings and suffer from the doubts and the inner kind of dialogue, the the negative inner dialogue, even when you're at the level that you are. It's really crazy.
3: (laughs) Yeah, it's, yeah, totally. It really is.
0: What's your number one top piece of advice for entrepreneurs who are entering the candy space specifically?
3: I think the candy space specifically. I think having a radical value proposition, I think, is one of the reasons at the heart as to why um, Smart Sweets scaled so quickly and why we're continuing to to grow and be the market leader and then next the global leader. I think you. It was inspired by Peter Thiel's book Zero to One, that the concept that to have a massively successful product and company and then simultaneously impact in the world, you can't just take something that exists and make it a little better. You have to take something that exists and make it create so much radical value that, that for people, it's, it's kind of reinventing the wheel, but in a really meaningful way that sparks the passion and enthusiasm and just the emotional response from someone to your product. And so I would say that above all is make sure your product has that radical value proposition.
0: I love that. Everyone listening, take your notes, radical value prop. (laughs) We need it. This has been so cool, Tara. Thank you so much for sharing all of this amazing journey with us. Hey, it's June here. Thanks for listening to this amazing episode of the Female Startup Club podcast. If you're a fan of the show and want even more of the good stuff, I'd recommend checking out femalestartupclub.com where you can subscribe to our free newsletter. As always, please do subscribe, rate and review the show, and post your favorite episodes to Instagram stories. I am beyond grateful when you do that. Hey, it's June here. Thanks for listening to this amazing episode of the Female Startup Club podcast.